As you're being seated, go ahead and find your Bibles and open it up with me to Luke chapter 18. We're going to be in verses 15 through 17 today. So last week, I was at home and I was eating a Tootsie Roll lollipop. And uh, as I was eating it, I bit into it and I cried out, "Uh uh-oh. And Stacy goes, what's the matter? And I said, I lost a tooth. Uh, I had a crown in the back of my mouth come loose, and so I was trying not to swallow it. I'd lost that tooth. Well, my five-year-old, Bennett, is observing all this as Daddy lost a tooth, and I look back, and he is raising his arms in victory. He's like, good job, Dad. I'm so proud of you. Way to go. You lost a tooth. Uh, (laughs) Do you remember when... Losing a tooth was a good thing. Do you remember when you used to be on a field trip or on a long vacation trip and you'd be in the back of the vehicle and you'd go past an 18-wheeler and you'd do this? And you were so excited whenever they're, you know, it just thrilled you with, with so much satisfaction. Or do you remember when you used to look forward all day to getting a Slurpee on the way home from school? Uh, It's funny how our perspective changes when we grow up. It's not so funny of how how much of life we lose when we lose our ability to see life through the eyes of a child. When we arrive on the scene at Luke 18 today, the disciples are tired. Their blood sugar is low. Maybe they skipped lunch. Maybe they only got three hours sleep because Simon Peter wouldn't stop talking all night. At any rate, they are at a place that we've all been at before. They are at a place where they are just ready for people to leave them alone. Well, in verse 15, here's what happens. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. And when the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. Now, it was customary in biblical times that whenever you came across a great teacher or a great rabbi, that you would bring your babies to that teacher in order for them to pray over the child and bless them. In biblical days, it was dangerous to be a baby. Think about how life would be without modern medicine. Many of you would not have seen your first birthday if it weren't for modern medicine. And so a lot of children died very early on. And so the reaction towards children in society would come in different ways. Some people really cherished children. They would pray for them, love them. And whenever they came across someone like Jesus... They wanted to bring the children to Jesus so that he could bless them because they cared very deeply about the little ones. Others in biblical times would kind of detach themselves from little guys. Maybe it was because they were compensating for some type of past pain. Maybe they had lost a child along the way. Or maybe they were compensating in order to help themselves not feel disappointment if something went badly. Or maybe they were just too busy. 
And so because of that, they didn't really value children. I have learned over the years that you can learn a lot about a person by the attitude that they display towards children. It really tells a lot about what's going on beneath the surface. And one thing that you see Jesus doing over and over again is valuing people that others looked down upon. I remember the time that he touched the unclean leper. The leper that was considered diseased, who had uh, been thrown out of his community. The leper that nobody would love. The leper that nobody would employ. The leper that didn't have any business being in his family unit or in his village anymore because of his disease. Jesus went to the leper and touched him because the leper had value. I remember the time that Jesus called the tax collector, a man by the name of Levi or Matthew, and this tax collector that was despised by the community, Jesus saw something in him and he made him one of the twelve. Or the time that he brought living water, the living water of forgiveness to the soul of a Samaritan woman, a woman who had spent her entire life chasing the love of men, Men that cared about her body, but ignored her soul. Now one of the ironies of this passage is that in the previous passage, you were introduced to a Pharisee in the temple who was praying, and his attitude was that of being a snob. He was looking down upon other people. He would look down upon Jesus because he came from a poor town. He would look down upon the twelve disciples. And now here in the next passage, the disciples are the ones looking down. And they're looking down on children. The curse of legalism is that you always have to find someone to look down upon. Because in looking down upon others, it helps you to feel better about yourself. Arrogance. It medicates our sin. It masks our pain for a season, but only Christ can truly heal the diseased soul. And so when we talk about grace, the love of God, spiritual growth, understand that grace takes root in the soil of simple faith. When we come to God in humility, with simple faith, trusting in Christ, and we understand who we are, and we understand our need of a Savior, that's when grace begins to take root in our heart. And until grace takes root in your heart, you're not going to grow as a spiritual person. You're not going to grow in godliness so long as you are adorning yourself in selfishness. So Jesus called the children to Him in verse 16. Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. You know, Christianity begins with a simple sentence. You know it. In the beginning. And then what did God do? Created the heavens and the earth. Now that is actually a very important theological truth. Because as Christians, we believe that life has an originator. That life originates with God. And that God created the heavens and the earth. 
Now, furthermore, we believe that not only did God simp- not only did God create, but He also brought definition to His creation. So there are some things that are guided by divine truth that have been instilled within creation by the Creator. Not only did God bring definition into His creation, but God has also revealed Himself to us through His Word, through Jesus, so that we might know His purposes, know His ways, know Him as Father. And God also did not create everything and then say to us, good luck with that. God has intervened into our scene so that we might be redeemed. God desires an ongoing relationship with us, and He is active in His creation. Where I'm going with all of this is that as a Christian, we have a fundamental idea as to where life comes from, and that is that it comes from God. Because of that, Your life is not an accident. You are not just a random choice. You have a reason why you take up space, why you take in air. There is a story that God desires to tell through the life that He has given you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You have dignity, you have value, you have purpose, and you have been created every life has been created by Almighty God. And so as Christians, we value life because we have a core belief that life comes from God. And it is God who brings value to life. Mothers, fathers, society. Our role is to value this life. It is not our role to play God and pretend that we have the authority to give life or to take life. As Christians, we should champion life as a gift from God. We should champion the dignity and the life of the unborn. We should champion the adoption of the neglected. We should champion the rights of the oppressed. And we should champion the dignity and the wisdom of the elderly. From conception to eternity, Christians should champion life. Why? Because we believe that life has been created. And we believe that our God, who created this life, instilled within it meaning and value, and that human beings are to reflect the image of God and to bring glory to God through the gift of life that He has given us. These are theological issues, not political issues. And as Christians, we should be champions for life. Now, I have observed that one of the areas where there is a subtle prejudice in our society is towards babies and small children. This same prejudice often exists towards the elderly as well. But because of our text today, I want to focus in on small children. I realize that they can be loud at times. They can smell. 
that they can wiggle and maybe even distract or get in the way of things that we want to do. But let me ask you this question. Is it wrong to treat someone badly simply because they are smaller than you? I hope that that's wrong because I'm not a very big guy. I'm 5'10 and go about a buck 73. A lot of y'all are bigger than me. I hope that you don't treat me badly just because I'm a little smaller than some of you. That's wrong to do that. Is it wrong to treat someone badly because uh, they're not as developed intellectually as you? Yeah, because they don't have the degrees that you have or they haven't learned as much or been exposed to as much as you. Would it be wrong to treat them badly because of that? Yes, it would be wrong. Is it wrong to treat someone badly because they are dependent upon other people to help them with their needs? We've all been dependent upon other people to help us with our needs. And likely many of us will be dependent upon other people to help us with our needs. It is wrong when we treat children or elderly, as unwanted, inferior, second-class citizens. It is wrong when we harm children because they are smaller in stature, they have a different level of development, they are perhaps in a different environment, or they are dependent upon another human being for their needs, and so we would feel that it's okay to harm them. That is wrong. Why is it wrong? Because there is a God who has created, and that God has instilled within life value and meaning. And we as His creation are to champion the life that God has created. And if we take time to love children, welcome them, help them, laugh with them, They'll, help, they'll often help you remember what life's all about in the first place. Children have an amazing capacity to just recenter you. You know, the message of Jesus is all about life. He was rejected so that you may be accepted. He laid down his life so that you may have eternal life. And one of the things that I am thankful for as a church is that we have little ones growing up in these halls. Sometimes they may interrupt your class. Sometimes they may uh, make a mess in the worship area. But sometimes you have to make a choice. Am I going to be a grump and push kids away? Or am I going to be like Christ and welcome them? If you weren't here last week, we're in a time of transition right now in our children's ministry. Our children's minister, uh, Chris Tiny Seeley, and his wife, Tamara, they're going to be moving. They're going to bring the children with them. But they're going to be moving to uh, Kingwood, Texas, and he's going to be serving there in a Woodridge Church there in Kingwood. We're going to miss him. He's been valuable to our, to our church here. But we're also thankful for anyone who's willing to listen to the call of God on their life and be obedient to follow the Lord. And I want, to un- I want you to understand that just because Tiny's moving, children's ministry at Murphy Road Baptist Church does not stop. And we have both opportunity and responsibility to show love to children. I'm actively working. 
I'm actively working trying to help uh, plug holes and, and uh, get things ready for the months ahead. Our Kidmen team has been so awesome in stepping up to help us with VBS and help us with camp. And we also, the personnel team's active and other, other people are just working hard. But we have some needs. VBS is coming up around the corner. Camp is coming up in late July. We need some new teachers. We need a third and fourth grade teacher because that's where we're tiny and Tamara taught. And we're going to need some of you to step up. To step up and help during this time of transition. I, I, I sometimes hear people say, uh, well, you know, Lash, when it comes to kids, I've already put in my time. Good luck with that. You know, you're on your own. I've already put in my time. Hey, listen, if you're a little bit more seasoned, like the way I worded that, if you're a little bit more seasoned, at some point you have to start thinking about the baton. You run your lap. Who are you going to pass that baton to? What's your legacy going to be? We sometimes worry about the future and what the world's going to be like for our kids. What are you doing about it? What things are you doing to make a difference? And say, I'm busy, Lash. My life is going, 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 going. Yeah, how's that working out for you? Sometimes the best thing you can do in life is just slow down long enough to see life through the lens of a child and to spend a little time investing in them. And we need some of you to step up during this time of transition and help us as we love children and welcome them into our community. In verse 17, Jesus says, Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Jesus calls us to remember when. Remember when life was simpler. Remember when you were smaller. At one point, you were dependent upon your mom and dad for almost everything. Food, water, shelter, hygiene. (laughs) At one point, you had that sense of childlike joy. Back to my little five-year-old Bennett. Bennett's gone out for soccer. All my kids keep going out for sports that I know nothing about. And he's gone out for soccer. He's pretty well the youngest guy on his team. It's the first time he ever played. And so he's just out there doing his best. Yesterday, it was cold. And, and I was out at the soccer fields, and Bennett was running around the soccer field with his winter coat on, with a hood up and gloves on, just running around doing his best. And, uh, and he's got his cleats on, and he kind of runs like this with those cleats. And his team scored 12 goals, and he wasn't close to scoring any of them. And I was watching him play, and there was not a single scout watching him. I was looking around, I was like, where's all the college scouts? Nobody's here watching my boy play. And then I watched as his team would score. And here's what Bennett was really good at. He'd go to midfield, and he'd go, oh, yeah, like that. I'm like, he's a Baptist preacher's kid. Where did he get? I mean, he's like MC Hammer, you know, can't touch this, at the middle of the field. Dancing. I'm like, where did this come from? But he was just out there having fun, playing with that childhood abandonment. Ah, do you remember when? 
You remember when you were just a kid? Best years of your life, and you didn't even know it. Do you remember whenever you entered the kingdom of God? When you began your walk with Christ? I was six years old. I grew up in church, and my church was showing a, a film about heaven. And during that film about heaven, I began to realize that I was a sinner, and I needed salvation. I needed Christ. My sister's quite a bit older than I am, and I rode home with her that evening, and I was getting a glass of Nestle's Quick. Anybody ever drink Nestle's Quick? And uh, I was drinking that glass of chocolate milk right before bed, and, and uh, I said to my sister, I want to be saved. And she said, wait till Dad gets home. Okay. So, so, uh, so I go to bed. Compliantly, I'm sure. Yes, I'll go to bed now. And um, go to bed, and I was lying in bed, just praying. God, don't come back before my dad gets home. Don't come back before my dad gets home. Please, just wait till he gets home. And I remember dad, I heard him come in. He comes down to my bedroom, and he, he says, Son, did you need to see me? And I said, Yeah, dad, I want to get saved. And that night, I knelt beside my bed with my dad beside me. And I, I prayed and asked God to forgive me of my sins. And I placed my faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And God changed my heart. I was forgiven of my sin. The Holy Spirit came and indwelled me. And I became a child of the King. God changed my eternity. That was my moment of salvation. I didn't enter the kingdom of God because I preached my first sermon. I didn't enter the kingdom of God because... I graduated seminary and walked across the stage and they say, here's your diploma and by the way, here's the keys to the kingdom. You don't earn the kingdom of God. You're born into the kingdom of God. Not physically, spiritually born into the kingdom of God. And God calls us, no matter what the age, to simple faith. Where we place our faith in Jesus Christ, repenting of sin, trusting in Christ as our Savior. And Jesus says, those that enter the kingdom come to me with a childlike faith that trust. Jesus doesn't call us to have all the answers, but he does call us to believe. Childlike faith, that simple step of faith. There's never been a time in your life where you've had that moment of salvation. I want to talk to you today. I'll be here at the front during the uh, final song, I'll be here at the front also after the service. And I want to be a pastor to you and help you. Find me. Find a life group teacher. Find a friend that you know that walks with the Lord. And tell them, I need to be saved. God calls us to this childlike faith. But God also doesn't call us to be childish. Eventually, you grow up. You grow up physically. You grow up spiritually. A lot of us come here today with some really big problems in life. One of the biggest misnomers of Christianity is that if you trust in God, everything's just going to be easy for you from then on out. How many of you have been walking with the Lord for over 20 years? Just lift your hand. Okay, take your hands down. How many of you during those 20 years have had troubles as you've walked with the Lord? Yeah, it's 100%. Just because you trust in Christ does not mean that suddenly all your problems are going to go away. And some of you walk in these doors today grieving. Someone you love has passed away and your heart is heavy. 
It may have even been a while now. Nobody asks anymore. Everybody kind of thinks you're just going on with life, but in reality, those waves of grief hit. And you're going through the valley of the shadow of death. And it's a struggle. Some of you come in here struggling with the pressures of life. You have bills to be paid and people have these things called expectations that they're always wanting you to meet and it's just a struggle. Some of you come in here ill every day of your life. You wake up with pain and it's hard for you just to manage to find the energy to do what needs to be done. Some are angry. People have done you wrong. Life hasn't gone the way that you envisioned it. You're frustrated with life. And maybe that anger is coming out upon the ones that you love the most, or maybe even you're turning that anger in on yourself and you find yourself often battling depression. Some of you are tired. You work all day. You're out almost every night just trying to keep up with the demands and keep up with the kids and the grandkids. And you just kind of come walking in here just tired. Sometimes in life, you just need to remember when. It doesn't take away the struggles. It doesn't make them just magically go away. But sometimes you just need to wipe away the tears and lay down the struggle and just rest in God's presence. And let Him drain you of the anger. Sometimes just push away all the distractions and all the junk. And like a child, just gaze at the simple grace of Jesus. Remember when? Remember that simple verse? Most of us learned it as a child. For God so loved the world that He what? That whosoever will not but have everlasting life. I remember whenever I was in kids' church, they taught me to put my own name in there. For God so loved Lash that He gave His only begotten Son that if Lash will believe in Him, He will not perish but have everlasting life. I can't take away your troubles today, but I can remind you that you have a God who loves you through the troubles. And sometimes in life, it is amazing how when you will simply turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in His wonderful face. Do you know the hymn? Sing the last part with me. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Would you be so kind as to bow your heads, please, as the band comes? They're going to lead us in singing. I invite you during this time of singing to sing with them, to pray. Maybe you need to pray with your spouse or pray with somebody that is sitting around you. I'm here at the front. I'd be glad to pray with you about anything as well. Heavenly Father, we bow our heads before you. And with simple faith, we place our trust in you. I pray for the individual that may be here today that doesn't know Christ as Lord and Savior. I pray that today might be the day when they take that step of faith. And with childlike faith, trust in the Savior. And Father, I pray for those that come into the doors today, struggling with the various pressures of life, whatever they might be, 
I pray that in these few moments that we have together as a church, you will help us to push back the distractions, turn our eyes upon Jesus, look full into your wonderful face. And Father, may we realize that you're in control. May we have faith. And Lord, may you empty us of anxiety and fill us with hope. As we go forward day by day, trusting you. Help us, Lord, not to get so caught up in the busyness of life that we no longer remember when. And help us, Father, as we run the lap of life that you've given us, to run it with the future in mind. And so may we invest, invest invest in the growing generations so that our time in this life makes an eternal difference. It's in Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we worship.